Join us, the Mr. and Mrs. Morgan you know, for a new 15-minute weekly recap about the most recent episode of Survivor Season 42. Come on in. We'll appear in your podcast feeds every Wednesday morning, so you're all caught up before the newest episode airs on Wednesday night. Like, subscribe, and share while you outwit, outplay, and outlast. (laughs) Hello, Internet. The Morgan You Know Podcast Network presents Balls and Brew. Welcome back. Thank you very much for joining us once again. I am your host, Rod Morgan. This podcast is produced by James Jamriska, and Jimmy is actually joining us this week. Jimmy, hello. Hey, Rod. I will not grab your thigh as you're driving towards the lane, just so you know. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Although I do like my thigh caressed every now and again, and the person I'd much rather have caress my thigh (laughs) than anyone else in this world is joining us again this week from down in North Carolina. It's Chris Kane. Chris, hello. I'll caress your thigh for you, Rod. You bet you will, my friend. Hey, we missed you on the draft show last week. Do you, do you have any draft thoughts for the people? Any nuggets that you want to drop out there for the folks since you were able to you weren't able to join us last week due to some technical difficulties? I do have a little tidbit of information that I was very excited about, and it actually didn't happen in the draft. Funny enough, this was an undrafted free agent, the greatest name ever to 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 play. On the gridiron, he was picked up by the New Orleans Saints. His name is Smoke Monday. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. That's a good one. Certainly, depending on which state that guy is, there's some definite possibilities of some sponsorships, right? If he was playing in Colorado or if he was in uh, Illinois now or Michigan or one of the other states all across these continents, man, he'd have some CBD dispensaries all over him. Hey, it, it, CBD oils, Delta A, it is available everywhere. He can get those, uh, those sponsorships right away, even in New Orleans. That is a that is incredible. I like that smoke. Also, you know, I mean, he can do a whole thing like make it a real medicinal angle, right? Like he needs to smoke on Monday after the hard hitting NFL Sundays. I mean, he's got everything covered here. You're right. I think Chris, listen, I don't often give you credit for being right on this podcast, <laughs> but you are right about that possibly being the greatest name ever. Yep. Something else I wanted to uh, give you credit for is uh, the Boston Celtics. You told us that the Boston Celtics were tough. We saw them dispatch with the Nets, and now everyone was worried again after Game 1, and we are recording just after Game 2 has wrapped up in that series. We will be talking as they are tipping off in the Golden State Memphis Game 2, and we are recording before they play Game 2 in the Phoenix and Dallas series and the Philadelphia and Miami series, just for timestamp for the viewers out there. But, uh, what it, I mean, Chris, what did you think of uh, tonight's game? And uh, let's let's start with that series right there, some of our thoughts moving forward. I think uh, Boston has to keep playing defense like they did tonight, right? I mean, well, you, you, keep, you keep Giannis uh, down to, what, uh, 15 points, 16 points in the first half, and you have a 25-point lead, that's defense. Jimmy, would you say it was defensive intensity, or would you say it was perhaps the fact that Jalen Brown had 25 points in the first half, which were almost more than he had in the first game? Yeah, I think hitting you've got to hit those layups. You've got to hit those drives, and they weren't doing that at all the first game. I really thought that they, they learned how to pass a little bit better. Uh, they were a little kind of – they were a little caught off guard uh, by by the Bucks in the first game, and uh, they came back and showed what they can do, but they're still shooting a ton of threes, dude. 
Yeah, they definitely are. I mean, you got to remember against Mike Boonholzer teams that they're going to leave you open at the three-point line, and Boonholzer's ultimately saying, hey, I mean, even the best guys in NBA history are probably only going to make four out of ten of those, so we're going to shut you out of the paint and give you those open three-pointers. But I think the question I have moving forward in that series, because as I said, we're not really the spot for in-game analysis, as I said to both of you guys before we got started recording tonight, but a couple of big-picture thoughts here about all of these series as we move forward here is my first for the Celtics playing off of what I just mentioned there for Jalen Brown do they ultimately have a good enough number two guy Jimmy I'll start with you that's a really good question I think they do I think that he can as long as Jalen Brown is hitting those like I said those mid-range shots and and really being aggressive I think that he is the a good number 2 I just think Tatum is such a good number 1 that he doesn't have to be you know an upper echelon number 2 for them to win but I think he is going to be good enough to to bring them up Chris what do you think bud Yeah it's it's a dangerous duo uh Tatum and Brown so I think it's enough. I do think that they are better with Smart out there as well, especially on the defensive side. But it's it's not just these two guys. Like This is a whole team effort. Tonight they had 28 assists to 11 turnovers uh, compared to the Bucks who had 16 assists to 16 turnovers. You know, they had 10 steals today. You know, they did shoot 43 threes, but they made 20 of them. That's going to make it up. I mean, it was more than just one or two guys, and that's what they have to keep doing if they were going to take out the Bucks. I'll tell you what I worry about, right, as far as the number two score goes, right, and that's clearly Jalen Brown on this team, right? I'm not trying to denigrate Jalen Brown as a player at all, but what I will say here is the ball gets a little stickier with Jalen Brown than it does anyone else on that team. So I just worry that tonight he had – he had 28 the last time I checked his stat line before we started recording. He could have gotten up in the 30s by the end of the game. So he's going to maybe yeah. think to himself, okay, see, there we go. So he's going to maybe think to himself, okay, well, I got to get my 30 for us to be able to play like that again. And I'm not entirely sure about that. But, Chris, you mentioned it there as well that Marcus Smart didn't play in this game tonight. So I think the presence of him and Derek White, those guys are definitely unselfish players. So they kind of take away from Brown's stickiness. But – I worry at times, I genuinely do, that when the Bucks can lock down the way that they can defensively, unlike any other team in the Eastern Conference except for maybe Jimmy's favorite, the Miami Heat, that it's going to come down just to Tatum one-on-one. And some of those other Celtics, like we saw in the game, the first game of this series, Jimmy, when they're not hitting those mid-rangers and they're not hitting those drives, the Celtics seem like a team that really has trouble scoring. I'm, I'm nervous because with Smart not in there, you have to rely on White to start. And White was... White did not have a very good game. 0-6 uh, with five assists, five fouls. Really, if you look at it, they, their bench was – I mean, Grant Williams did did pretty well. But other than that, they really didn't have the depth that I think you kind of need. I think they need three or they four players. They only went seven to deep to... tonight. They basically went yeah. seven deep tonight with Smart out. Yeah, that, that really hurt when Peyton Pritchard's playing that much time. And, again, uh, can White hit a shot? Just one? That would be no, great. No, honestly. He's one of those guys, right? And, Chris, you don't like these guys typically, right? Because you have such a you, – you hate Draymond Green, and we're definitely going to have to talk a little bit of Draymond <laughs> Green later when we get to the Warriors. But you don't like these guys, Chris, that, that guys like me and Jimmy and other folks say are important to have out on the court, but when they don't hit shots or score, you say, why, why should they be out there? And Derek White certainly fell into that category tonight, didn't he? Yeah, he – 
he did not he did not do well tonight. He was a beneficiary of being out on the floor with everybody else. Is the only reason he had a plus minus of twenty two. Um, but yeah, uh, zero for four from three, zero for six overall. Um, he's got to at least do a little bit more on the offensive end if Smart's not going to play. Yes. Uh, See, I'll go with you there, right? Because you mentioned that there's so many guys on this team and they're pretty deep. And what I would say the answer to the number two score is, is clearly it's Jalen Brown. But if the tertiary and quadrary and centiary, right? I think I might have done all of those right. If those guys Dang! aren't coming – those guys aren't coming with at least 12 to 13 to 14 to 16 right if you're not getting if you're not getting 10 out of horford right and if you're not getting like 12 out of robert williams on some hustle right and Derek white can't at least hit four threes and williams can't come in and hit four or five threes then the celtics are really in trouble you mean the bucks no i mean the celtics the score enough because that's what we were that's what we were talking about one thing that i will say though is you brought up brown's stickiness he he was second on the team tonight in assists so that improved a little bit um, he ended up having six assists. Thirty-five and six is a no slouching game. I thought no, he he's not really bad. Well. I don't want to denigrate the guy. I just think that at times, right, he gets his head down and he gets to blitzing into the lane, and then he'll get a lot of turnovers, and then he gets to not looking at guys right where he's really trying to drive that ball in the lane instead of kicking out for an open shot. And he just, I just feel like he gets that way an awful lot. And Tatum used to be that way too. And then that's when the Boston offense really falls into quicksand. So just as long as both of those guys avoid that. That's good for them. Let's talk about the Bucks a little bit moving forward. I, I want to pose this question to both of you gentlemen, all right? What if the Boston radio stations, Boston paper, Boston Twitter accounts, whatever everybody hears about these days, all come together, and the next time the Bucks come back to the Boston Garden to play a game, instead of counting 1, 2, 3, 4 in correct order, why not count 10 down to 1? It's just human nature that you might start to rush and blitz and hurry a little bit when you hear people counting down to one and then maybe even to zero. Why not try that if you're the Boston crowd? Jimmy, did I just blow your mind? You kind of did. That's awesome. I love that. I do. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Can you? So that, you know, I think that's really good counting down from 10 to one because I noticed that today again. It's like, why are you doing that? He always shoots at like seven or eight now. I mean, I guess he got to 10 a couple times, but yeah, count down. Great call, dude. I love it. Mess with his mind. That's what I mean, right? Occam's razor, right? The simplest solution is usually the best one, right? So if you're trying to hurry somebody up and mess them up on free throws, why not make them think they need to speed it up? If your whole point is he's taking too long and the refs need to call a, a penalty on him, right? Not a penalty. I guess there's no penalties penalty. Penalty. Well, you, guys, penalty, yeah. you guys know what I mean, right? You can take the free throw away from him all the above. Then why not count it down? You see think- this you see this in college uh, games all the time where crowds will start chiming down at five, four, but there's like eight or nine seconds left yeah, on the clock. Yeah, exactly. You see it all the time in college, and it yeah, works. Kind of like in the Royal Rumble from a few years ago when people would count down even though the clock was still like a minute. I like it, yes. I oh, like wrestling. It. Nice. Oh, yeah. We, you know, pod. Jimmy and yeah, I, yeah, we're always going to get we're always going to get that mention in there. So, Chris, what do you think the Bucks are going to do about Chris Middleton being out? Or do you think maybe what we heard hinted at this evening, we might be seeing Middleton actually before the end of the series and he won't be sitting the hole one out? Because I worry a little bit about Milwaukee scoring if we're going to see more uh, defense like the Celtics played tonight. So last year I talked about how if the Bucks are going to have to rely on Middleton as the number two guy, I would be worried uh, they proved me wrong. However, I'm pretty, pretty sure 
this year that if you're a Bucks fan and you're relying on Jeru Holiday to be your number two, you really should be worried. Uh, he is not consistent. He will not get you those types of games like he did in game one every single night. Um, you can see that from tonight. Uh, I think they need Middleton back. I think they will try to push him back. It's the playoffs now. It's not the regular season. No time to sit and rest that extra day or two days or weekend or whatever. you got to fight to get back. If you want to get back to the championship, if you want to be back-to-back champions, he's got to come back and play. I don't think if he doesn't come back, I don't see how Milwaukee wins this in seven. I would tend to agree with you there that it's going to be tough for Milwaukee to win that game number seven because that's a game where it really bogs down and you're going to need offense. Now, I say that and the reigning uh, or a former two-time MVP who had 50 points and gave seven to the NBA Finals last year is probably just laughing at me saying that. But, Jimmy, I actually have an interesting question for you as a Bulls supporter. Do you sometimes, when you watch Milwaukee play now, think back and wish that Bobby Portis never punched Nikola Mirotic in the face and he could still be a Chicago Bull? I'm good. I really never liked Bobby Portis. I'm 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 fine with him being on the Bucks. I just didn't think he brought as much to the uh, to the Bulls. It's one of those things where he would have never done what he's doing now as a Bull. It just would not have happened. So I'm fine with it. Yeah, you're probably right. You're a uh, your Bulls fan. Miritich is also my uncle. So I I mean no. Everybody, you know, I kind of miss Miritich every once in a while, right? Like that dude was kind of he was he was a silky smooth Euro that not a lot of people talked about, right? He didn't have much player. to his game other than shooting, but boy, he could shoot. Yeah, and Jimmy, your Bulls fan knowledge will come up when we get to Memphis because I have another uh, I have another Bulls analogy to make when we get to uh, when we get to Memphis. So uh, okay, here's here's what I would say on the Milwaukee Bucks. Right, I think that Milwaukee fans, right, Wu Tang, are you listening? Actually, we all know that he's not listening. He never checks out the podcast. But if he nice were thought. listening, if he were listening, we would say to him, Wu, you're in trouble because. You're relying at this point, unless Middleton comes back, and Chris, I tend to agree with you that he's going to try to fight hard and come back. But if he doesn't, you're going to be looking for Brooke Lopez, Grayson Allen, Wes Matthews, Pat Connaughton, right? You're going to, Bobby Portis. You're going to be needing points. Drew Holiday. You're going to be needing points out of all of these people. And when it comes down to the real nitty-gritty time and the Celtics are playing some of that best defense we've seen out of an NBA team in the past five to six years – I wouldn't have a lot of confidence that those guys are going to get me the points I need. So I think Middleton is a big-time key to this series. That being said, I'm not predicting Celtics are just going to walk over here. I think that the Bucks are still a hard, scrabble team. They're defending champs. Even if the Celtics win this thing, it, it might be in seven or six at the least. So you had Allen, Lopez, <laughs> Matthews play a combined, what is that, uh, 79 minutes tonight and a total of 11 points. See, you need more go. than that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. See, stats can sometimes do a very, very good job of uh, reiterating a point. So that's good. Let's move over to the Western Conference. The Grizzlies and the Warriors have just tipped off as we are recording. Some fun basketball was had in that first game. Here's the here's the question that I actually have though. I'm just going to drop this question on it right now, and then we'll, we'll get into more analysis as we move along. Is Memphis's window smaller than we think? Because the popular term you're hearing with Memphis right now is they're a year away. This team is young. They're going to be fine. I'm not so sure we can bank on any of that stuff in today's NBA anymore. Okay, 
Teams are moving around all the time. We already hear so much talk about this guy's moving, sign and trade here, all of the above. I mean, the league just completely recycles itself every year. So for a team to think that it has a window of the next three to four years, I think is a tad bit foolish. The second part why I think that Memphis's window might be smaller than we all realize is Allen Iverson, Derrick Rose, John Morant, okay? Three little guys who go to the rim, take a bunch of punishment, and at one point, they sort of just fall off, and it's over, right? I think the Chicago Bulls, Jimmy, as a Bulls fan here, you guys thought you had a whole bunch of years, and then all of a sudden, Derrick Rose had a couple of injuries back-to-back, and that Bulls team was just dead in the water. Went from MVP to nothing, and then had to resurrect his career as a, as a sixth man. And I do worry about that. And as far as the window goes, the window is this year for the yeah. Grizzlies. It's, it, it is, because they have a team that loves each other so much and plays together so well that, I mean, look at how deep they went. They went like 10 deep and all of them played at least like nine or 10 minutes. Uh, that first game, they have a chance to do something special now. Cause you never know what's going to happen. Desmond Bain could get angry over the, uh, over the off season and one out. They're probably going to trade a couple people to try to upgrade and bring somebody else in. What's that going to do to the chemistry? So it's now and they have to do it. That was a huge loss in game one. Now, luckily, they're, they're uh, up, by, I think, by eight, eight times what the, what the uh, Golden State Warriors have now. It's eight to one. Um, so I think they're going to – that game's over, so it's going to be tied at 1-1. <laughs> um, but, no, it's, this is it. This is, this is their opportunity. They, they have to win the game they're playing tonight or it's over. I mean, you might as well just pack it up. Chris, let me, let me put it to you this way as well. You like stats, so let me put it to you this way. The Memphis Grizzlies have in front of them right now playoff teams that do not include Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard, Paul George, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, the defending MVP Nikola Jokic. All of these supposed titans in the Western Conference are all done and out of the playoffs. That's another reason why I think Memphis's window might be smaller than all of my barbecue, Elvis-loving Memphis friends would like to hear. I, so I'm kind of with you. I mean, I hate when teams say they're a year away or people say about teams being a year away. I mean, we've seen it before. They, Atlanta was a year away. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> that didn't work out, you know? So like you, you hear that and like, don't think of it as being a year away. You got to do it right now. Now you are right. Who knows what's going to happen? However, Memphis isn't one of these teams where you see that type of stuff happen. Where I don't necessarily real quick, Chris, I would say, I don't necessarily mean I think their team's going to get broken apart, but who knows what kind of teams can be created around them that then all of a sudden make more competition next year than they thought. Yeah. Now listen, the West is always in fluctuation. We thought it was going to be stronger than the East this year. And besides the Suns, it really wasn't. Um, That's a good point. So like there are things to that, but. Memphis has showed its grit, its tenacity. They have won games without Morant uh, due to injury. So, so him being on a bench or getting hurt for for uh, a section of the season isn't going to derail them necessarily. Um, I I like yeah, this that's team. a good point too. That's a good point too. I mean, I really they lost like less than team. five games without them. I think they have a good coach too. You make some good points there, Chris. I just I worry about it from the standpoint of. You know, sometimes with guys like that, you don't realize that it's over until it's actually over. Yeah, that's why you. That's why if you're a Memphis fan, you enjoy every second you get to see John Morant on the court because 
He's one of the most exciting players to watch right now. He does not slow down. He he puts in work. It is a joy to watch him play basketball and enjoy every minute and cherish it. And don't just keep thinking, well, we're a year away. Get it done this year. You need to get through Golden State, and then you need to find a way to get around Phoenix, which may be very, very tough. So, so keep fighting. I like we this will- team. I, yeah, the Memphis Grizzlies, there's a lot to like there. Absolutely. There's a lot to like. T. Morant on the sidelines is a lot of fun, too. Watching John Morant there on the sidelines, that's a lot of fun, right? Zach Randolph, usually right there on the front row. A little Zebo shout-out. Always good to see him back on the floor there. Let's go to Golden State. You talked about you got to ex- love every minute you get to see John Morant on the floor. Jimmy, how much longer can Golden State count on seeing Draymond Green on the floor, right? I mean, he got bounced already in game one. Certainly, tempers are going to be high. I don't believe he's been bounced out of this game yet, but the next flagrant two that he gets will get him a one-game suspension, and we all know that's been an issue for the Warriors in playoffs past. How worried should the Warriors be about this Draymond Green situation? I think they're always worried about it just because he can do anything at any point, but he also has that reputation that a – it it may go it may get called worse than it was. I don't know if I if I really bought that one in game one, but it happened, and and now anything that can happen again. Okay, uh, let's stop right there. Are you say, telling there's somebody me else on this podcast who may have a different opinion? Let's you, go to you, Chris you, King for the counterpoint. Are you saying you don't think that was a flagrant two? No, I don't. No. So you don't think the act of of swinging your arm down on a guy's face and then secondly grabbing his jersey to pull him down on the ground in two separate instances on the same play doesn't deserve a flagrant two those are two circumstances where he could have severely injured that player right i don't know that that he meant to i don't know that he meant to grab the jersey i think that was a case of his hands got caught up in it and then we're just then then it's too late we talk about reputation there was a fly he wanted to get it out oh drop it we talk about player reputation all the time and that affects things oh yeah he is a player with a reputation he had two distinct motives he pulled that guy down by the jersey after he swatted down on the dude's head he has kicked i don't know how many players in the balls in the past like, I think he's a dirty player. I think the Warriors are better without him. And they proved that oh. to us the other night when they were down big with him in the game. He gets booted. They come back and win. Okay, but they're, they're the tale of two teams, and I'm going to get to that. Now, first off, I want to say I don't want to be in the position of defending Draymond Green because we're going to talk a little bit more about him vis-a-vis his media career here in a couple of minutes, and that is something that I'm quite disgusted with his behavior at recently, so I don't want to be somebody here who's defending Draymond Green, but it's a case of defense warriors, offense warriors. Chris, you're absolutely right. When Jordan Poole is out there on the court, the Warriors are doing much better things on offense, and they go a little bit smaller, and Looney's in there, and they're doing some great things on offense. But when Poole is out there on the court, they're getting eaten alive on the defensive flow end because Draymond Green, whether you like him or not, Chris, whether you love his offense or not, or his reputation or not, that man is smart on defense. He still can play good defense, and he has the size and feet that makes him versatile enough to switch and be the captain of that defense. So it's really on Steve Kerr and it's the part that makes coaches show whether they have it or they don't it's the playoffs you got to figure out how long can I go with my defense lineup and how long do I have to go with my offense lineup it's a constant balancing in the five out space the floor three-point game that the NBA has become now they look more like a championship team like they did from four or five years ago without green on the floor Jimmy, I mean, Jimmy, you're going to have to come in here because I clearly I can't talk to Chris, but and we all know how he feels. Jimmy, what do you think? I mean, 
Draymond Green is one of the leaders of that team. And, yeah, they were down, but it was 17 minutes. I mean, it's not like it was most of the game that he was in. Listen, he's he's everything to that team, just like Clay, just like uh, Curry. Uh, he's part of that unit, and without him, they are in big trouble. Uh, you cannot rely on Jonathan Kaminga to come in and play uh, at this at this age. I'm sorry, you can't. So if Draymond Green goes out again, uh, that's going to be music to Memphis's ears because they're going to win the series. Yeah, you don't want a Nemanja Bialica walking off of that yeah. bench and playing big minutes for you in the playoffs. Like that's not really what you're looking to have happen. But Chris, I I listen, I understand what you're saying. I really do. I just think that like Draymond's prickly personality here may have you a tad bit overheated like you accuse me of being sometimes. Is that fair? Is that fair maybe? No, listen. I when he came into the league, I didn't have this much against him. He played at Michigan State. Uh, I thought he was a great college player at Michigan State. I'm usually for Big Ten guys in the league unless they played for Purdue. Um, <laughs> but You're not wrong. What really turned turned me off on him is when he started kicking guys in the nuts and claiming he was making basketball moves. So he's essentially out there trying to hurt guys and then lying about it. It just, no, no more. I'm done with him. Listen, I, 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 as I said, Draymond Green, the media member, I am done with. So I will, I will join you in some Draymond Green vitriol when we, uh, we touch on one basketball thing that's not related to the court before we uh, close up basketball talk. But let's move on to another team that's dealing with a superstar who is banged up when he does come back, may have to be wearing goggles, has a busted up thumb already when he does come back, and a second superstar who I guess maybe is her or is just over the hill and cooked. So there's all types of ways we could go with the Philadelphia 76ers. Jimmy, what do you think is the most important thing facing these Sixers as they move forward? Is it Embiid or is it Harden? Who's the second superstar? Tobias Harris? I mean, he had 27 points. That was <laughs> I do listen, love me some Tobias Harris. I think Tobias Harris gets a, gets a raw deal on a lot of things. But let's talk about Embiid here. Uh, poor guy, honestly. You know, this one isn't his fault. You get punched in the face and you break your orbital bone. It sucks, right? Uh, but, again, it's it's Embiid getting hurt, and you have to look down that line. And James Harden is 5 for 13 again. And, yes, he is cooked. Listen, I have never played in the NBA. I have never played in college, okay? I play uh, pickup basketball a couple times a week, all right? So I uh, obviously can't have an opinion on anything basketball-related. That being said, I'm going to give you my – James Harden's not a good basketball player anymore. I'm sorry. He's not good, okay? He's slow. He's really aloof a lot of the times, and he's just not going to be your team leader. And someone's going to pay him $50 million a year moving forward, and they're going to be in the first round of the playoffs and out. The 76ers are screwed because Joel Embiid – even if Joel comes back uh, in two games, they're going to be down 3-0, and they're not going to be able to beat the Heat. I'm sorry. It's it's over. Uh, don't sign Harden. Please don't sign Harden just for Joel Embiid's sake. You know who you don't want to be playing if you're wearing goggles because you have a broken orbital bone and if you're wearing a brace on your thumb because you have to get ligament <laughs> surgery in the offseason? Anybody on the Miami Heat? Exactly. Bam. Bam. <laughs> or P.J. Tucker. You know or I mean? Jimmy yeah. Butler or... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Kyle who, Lowry. Who, if he comes back, Kyle Lowry. I thought PJ Tucker did a good job on Harden. I think that was a big reason that Harden had issues. I think the other reason that 76ers had issues is because they shot thirty-four three-pointers and only made six. Yeah, Maxi has got to make shots for that team, or they're definitely in trouble. And I know, like Miami, didn't do that much better. They were nine of thirty-six as well, or something like that. So, like, 
Like they got to do more. They got to rebound better, especially on the offensive end. They got to hit their open three pointers. Uh, you do that, it makes things a little bit easier for that other superstar because we know Harden isn't the same player he was six, seven years ago. He just isn't. Um, he he's not putting in effort every single play. We talked about Morant earlier, putting in effort, working hard never taking time off like like you want to see that out of your go-to guys especially in the playoffs and you don't see that from James Harden you haven't seen that in a long time yeah you've almost never seen it in the playoffs there'd be a lot of people that would show you a lot of James Harden's resume and speak to the fact that he absolutely never steps up in the playoffs but I, I mean I don't know man I just have this weird thought of like it just if the today's NBA right if Harden was hurt all he has to do is say that he's hurt and then he just he's out and nobody gets to say anything you know what I mean like that's what happens in today's NBA so he must not be all that seriously hurt in my book so I just like either he really is cooked and as we talked about with John Morant who a uh, injury could make him be done and Allen Iverson it was just over before any of us thought maybe that is the case with James Harden but I still I think to myself you hear so much about oh this is Doc Rivers' fault this is Doc Rivers' fault Maxie needs to do this, Tobias Harris that. I think it comes down squarely on the shoulders of James Harden. It's a bummer for the Sixers that it beats out, and they got no chance if he doesn't come back. But this series is all about James Harden. James needs to step up in the rest of this series and show that he's got any kind of a basketball life left. Because, Chris, you're right that he's got a lot of money on the line, and you're probably right that almost anybody would give that to him. But maybe if he continues to play as bad as he has in his first game and as bad as he did at times last series, that number of teams is going to be dwindling down to teams James Harden wants no part of. Orlando Magic, hello. Oklahoma City Thunder, hello. Sacramento Kings, hello. Let me ask you guys a question. Um, anybody but Harden. <laughs> that's, that's, so Isaiah I'm, Joe, I'm, yes. I'm actually going to compare him to uh, somebody uh, – that played uh, during the time of Michael Jordan, another guy who who had. Well, thank God lot. you went Jordan's time and not the time of your youth, because then you'd yeah. really be having <laughs> to like, I gotta go. I gotta go do some research. So, so I I would put him in a category below this player, and tell me if I'm wrong, because a lot of people are big on Harden and think he's one of the the better players of this generation. I don't see him as being as good of a, as as a Clyde Drexler, another. A uh, great combo type guard who who had great regular season success, um, even had some minor playoff success. At least got to the finals a couple times. Never won a championship. He won oh, no, a championship wait, with the no, Rockets. Yeah, he did win one with Houston. That's right. But like, oh, always overshadowed by another player in the league, a la like LeBron James over just about everybody. So like. I don't see Harden as being as good as a Clyde Drexler. As good as he has played in the past and as much money as people are paying him and how he seems to be sought after, I don't see him to be even near a Hall of Fame type ballot. Do you guys? Jimmy, you, Jimmy, you take the first bite at the apple here and then I'll, and then I'll clean it up. Honestly, that's not a bad comparison. Um, I think Clyde Drexler, if you ask teammates I, th I think they would say that Drexel was would be the better teammate there um you know he he, he tried to be a scorer um but I mean really he I, I I think I think he's probably he's in that realm I think 
I think Harden's a little bit better than Drexler. I really do. Um, overall, now obviously at the tail end of their careers, I think Drexler would be better. But I think overall, I think Harden's just. I think he's just a little bit above that. But it's a good comparison. I think Drexler was a better athlete because I think honestly Harden's never been a real high flyer. He's he's had a quick first step, but you know I mean he's never been a, a quick bouncy guy like that. So I think Drexler was a better athlete. I think Harden is clearly a better shooter, but. I think Drexler is probably a better all-around basketball player, and I think he also took the craft a lot more seriously than Harden seems to, right? That's the other thing about Iverson, why the comparisons are made to Iverson. The stories about Iverson are legendary. Out to the casinos till 5 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock shoot around for a game that'd be at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Like, Iverson just did that for, like, every road game or any time that he got the chance to, and that caught up to him. And you hear the same things about James Harden, and certainly those weren't the things we heard about Clyde Drexler because the guy played for well over 20 20 years and caught a championship as a pretty solid contributor for those Rockets teams. Sure, he was he was at the end of his career and was a bit ring chasing, but he was a solid enough contributor for him. It wasn't like when Robert Parrish won a championship for the Bulls during the second three-peat. I will say that I never questioned Iverson's effort in a game. Definitely not, though. That's the difference between Iverson and Harden that way, right? Like, James... Yeah. James just, like, he just doesn't have that want to in him, right? Like, James is just kind of an aloof guy who's all about himself, and if he's not feeling it that night, he could care less how he's going to get made fun of, and, he and that plays, definitely wasn't Iverson. He plays, like, wait, when I watch him play now, he plays like it's owed to him. Like, he deserves it already. Like, he doesn't That's have good. to work for it, and that bugs me. That's good. That's actually a good way to. That's actually a good way to describe a lot of today's NBA, unfortunately, as much as I like it. But let's go to the final series we need to talk a little bit about it includes one of our favorite players to talk about on this nba podcast one luka Doncic, and it and it concludes excuse me includes possibly the best team left in the playoffs and i guess i'll start it this way i mean did we talk so much about the lakers and the nets and then we got attracted to the celtics and the bucks are defending champs that we forgot all about the possibility that phoenix could be on a complete san antonio spurs redemption series here jimmy I, I no, I think it was the Phoenix Suns were kind of always a given. Uh, we wanted to talk about the teams that had a little bit more intrigue, but the Suns are just solid, and they just have to really worry about injuries to Chris Paul because Chris Paul, you know, breaking down Chris Paul usually happens around this time. You know, maybe another couple of games. We got to watch that for sure. But I think Monty I mean, knows it too because he only played twenty five minutes thereabouts in that game one. I think Monty knows it too, Jimmy. Yeah, and also with Booker still kind of coming back in. You know, he played a lot in game one, but we want to make sure he's okay. And then Aiton, um, we're going to see playoff Aiton, I think, coming up uh, during the series even more. So That guy just makes you pay. Suns are given. Suns are given. That guy Aiton just makes you pay, doesn't he, Chris? Like in today's oh. game where we're told so much that bigs aren't a big deal, Aiton really is a big deal for the Suns. It's, and he's doing it again, just like he did last year. He was He was – very serviceable, above average during the regular season. Like he's a seventeen and ten guy. He gets to the playoffs. He becomes like twenty five and twelve, twenty five and thirteen. Like he just puts it into a different gear, which is really what you need in the NBA. You need to have that second gear left or that last gear left for the playoffs to really put it in. He comes to play. He has he impressed me and he surprised me last year. Um, and he's doing the same thing already. And like. Like, they had a little hiccup that first series, but, like, that first game against Dallas looked like the Suns from the regular season where they just ran through everybody. All right, here's the other question I have about the Phoenix Suns, then, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Mavericks before we close up shop here. Who's the most important third player for the Suns? Is it Aiton, who we just spoke about, or is it Mikhail Bridges, Jim? 
I think it's going to be Aiton because he gives you something that uh, other teams really have to have to plan for more. Where Bridges is fantastic, but you know he, he's he's a wing. Uh, you kind of know what to expect from him. But Aiton is unique. Where he uh, if he's on, he can be anywhere and 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 hit those you know mid range, get get down low. I think Aiton's more important. Well, now Chris, I know you're a big defensive. A uh, fan here on this podcast, and I know Luca had forty-one in game one, but I still think Bridges played him pretty well. He, yeah, he had forty-five in game one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> eh, whatever. <laughs> so, but like, not many body, not really anybody else from Dallas showed up, and that was one problem they had. They had one other guy that played well in the first half, and then essentially it was Luca. So, like, they need more help. Um, you want, you need both of them. You really do. Um, but I will, I'll probably put Aiton a little bit in front. You want Bridges to guard the best player for the other team, but you need Aiton for everything else. <laughs> Clean up the mess in the middle after, after whatever happens, you go get the, the easy, uh, pick and roll dishes inside, uh, help do just about everything else on the basketball court. That's, He's he's a different he's kind of a different beast in the playoffs. He really is. Well, I'll tell you what, I think Mikhail Bridges is gonna have an awful lot to say about what Luka Doncic does in the rest of this series. I think he's gonna have an awful lot to say about Clay Thompson running around, Jordan Poole running around, Steph Curry running around, then whoever they play out of the East, whether that be Jimmy Butler, Giannis, you, Tatum. You, you're just kind of counting Memphis out right now, aren't you? I'm just saying if the Suns <laughs> go on, right? We're just talking about Phoenix here. I'm, I'm trying to mention all the different people they have. But, yeah, I guess John Morant as well, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, so, like, like that's you do need Bridges. Uh, that's why I said you need both of them. You need Bridges on the best guy for the other team, whoever that may be. And I would probably put him on Clay if they did end up playing Golden State. But I would definitely have him play Morant if it's Memphis too. Um that's the great thing about Bridges. He can guard essentially one through four without any kind of real issue. Jimmy, I'll go to you for this because you talked about it in the East. Let's see if you have a, an opinion on this in the West. Can Dallas do anything? Or let's say, let me put it this way. Can the non-Luka Doncic-named Dallas Mavericks do anything but shoot three-pointers? All right, go to ESPN, see who else is on the Mavericks. <laughs> and... I think the answer is going to be Brunson can Brunson can, but I don't think it's enough. I I don't think they can do it. I, it's this is over. I would tend to agree with you. I would tend to agree with you. And our our playoff talk as far as on the court is over. But for a couple of minutes, I wanted to touch on something podcast related. We are a podcast now. Yes. One of the benefits we have of being a podcast is we don't have what's called an aggregator, trying to take every <laughs> single thing that we say and parse it into a social media tweet and gain a bunch of clicks on it. Now, would an aggregator, would we love that? Go ahead, aggregate us away. If we could, if we could somehow get to 100 listeners for an episode, I would absolutely freak out. So aggregators, go ahead and aggregate anything we say. But I don't believe that our headlines would cause anyone to click on it. But... The name of Bill Simmons will sometimes get people like myself and Jimmy. I know you're a Bill Simmons fan, is right? Sure, of course, definitely. We'll get we'll get guys like you and me to click on it. Now we listen to every Bill Simmons podcast, so it's hard for us to not see a quote and know that it's immediately taken out of context. But this happened to Bill Simmons. He on a podcast a few weeks ago with a couple of his guys for the Ringer were talking about all 
rookie team. And they were throwing around names, and they were talking about how much they loved Herb Jones. And then somebody said, oh, what about Jalen Green? And Bill Simmons just said, and Jimmy, I'm going to do something here that I don't Uh-oh. do very often. But okay. to, to, to accurately quote, I'm going to quote, all right? Okay. Bill Simmons said, fuck Jalen Green. I like Herb Jones. I value winning much more. They all kind of started laughing. Bill Simmons immediately said, no, Jalen Green's a fine player, but I just don't think I'm going to put him on my all-rookie first team. A completely fine thing to say. Immediately the next day, Houston aggregators got a hold of that. Quotes Bill Simmons with F asterisk 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 Jalen Green. Writes an article about it. Bill Simmons finds it, addresses it, and says, this is garbage. I didn't say that. Puts a link out for the podcast. I think it's over and done with. About a week and a half to two weeks later, Draymond Green comes across it. Sends it on himself without reading it and says it's bullshit that this old man has something to do with voting on players' awards and their money. And a whole thing is created. Jimmy, did I do a good job of summarizing that? Yeah, you did a perfect job of summarizing it. Someone took a headline or, or took a quote out of context. He was laughing as he said it. But I will say this. Every podcast I listen to, I know what he's going to get in trouble for. And I knew he was going to get in trouble for that one easily. Yeah, they probably should have just taken it out of there. They probably should have taken it out of there because the whole conversation they were having could have still gotten off without having that part in there, and you knew that part was going to get lifted. Chris, you're not a big Draymond Green fan. I'm not a big fan of him sounding off on Bill Simmons and not doing any kind of reading here or any further looking into the situation. What do you think about this? Um, I could probably go for a while on this, um, but I have some questions to start off with. First, with Bill Simmons. Um. I did not listen to that entire podcast. Was he? Did he say whether or not he was going to vote for Cade Cunningham on his yeah, rookie team? Was on his first team. So, so Cunningham doesn't win, but he gets on the team. Jalen Green doesn't win, and he doesn't. And so that's a little bit iffy right off the bat. I don't have a problem with him saying f Jalen Green though either, because when he did say that. It was like two dudes at the bar talking about who their favorite players are. And and how many times have we heard people on this podcast go F LeBron James? And like Well one person really. <laughs> okay, still. But like so most of the time it is joking. Um I get why the guy in Houston did it. Uh if you are a local sports columnist in a market, you need to get as many eyes on your articles as possible that's just the way journalism is now and that's what you got to do um i don't see why bill simmons needed to address it either just say hey listen to the podcast and and judge for yourself or whatever it's literally Um, what he said but like just just let it be that's going to happen no matter what especially the way it is today you need to get clicks online because people don't buy papers how do you get clicks online big time headlines like that um let's get to draymond green so green biggest complaint was really about how these columnists get a say in who makes these all NBA teams, rookie teams, first team defense, second team, and then those awards can dictate how that player can uh, get a max contract or at least negotiate for a higher contract than if they didn't. The problem that I have with Draymond Green taking that stance is there is a collective bargaining agreement between the union and the ownership in basketball, and the players' union has agreed to let this happen. If he doesn't want that to happen, you tell your union rep, which 
Draymond probably is the union rep for that team, to not allow that to happen. Take it out of the bargaining agreement. Tell them that we don't want those people to dictate who's on these teams. To back you up real quick, the writers don't want it to dictate the money in these people's contracts either. There's only one group of people that want it to dictate who's in the contracts, and that's the owners, because they desperately want to have a rule in place to save them from themselves. Because otherwise, they'd basically have to give the max to every single good player on their team. And they just know that they'd feel pressure to do it, and that they do it, and they want to have outs to not have to do it. So they came up with this convoluted way of attaching bonuses to whether a guy makes a first team, a second team, or a third team. I happen to think that the media are the most qualified people to vote for these awards. You can't have coaches do it because coaches are going to have to pay too much attention to their own team. You can't have players do it because players have shown us over the years in MVP voting of the past that they can't be trusted to do it either. And so these media members are probably the best of all of the different evils to be able to get as close to where we need to get to. But hey, the media still sometimes make mistakes because they're about to give Nikola Jokic's back-to-back MVP awards. So, well, and, you know. and it's not like... Draymond hasn't really, like, he came up through college. You had to, it was all those awards, whether it was Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Ten, Big Ten Player of the Year, uh, whether or not your school got more funding because they were ranked number one in the AP poll or the USA Today poll. Like, those are all based off of writers and things of that nature. Like, so it's not a program that he's not used to or doesn't know how it works. Like he's Listen, Draymond being Draymond being a bit hypocritical or sounding off on something he doesn't quite have all the information with, man, that doesn't sound like something he yeah, did at and, all. Yeah, and then the worst part about it was he didn't even give an alternative to how they should be determined. Like if you don't well, have, where's the fun in that? If you don't have people voting on these, if you leave it just to the fans, then it's going to be even more messed up because the fans it comes down to a popularity contest. We see that in the All Star Game every year. Um so you can't leave it up to the fans. You can't leave it up to the coaches. You can't leave it up to the players. So who's left? And you got to do the writers. Media. And really, Bill Simmons takes this so seriously. I love it because he they really get in depth on it. Uh, even on, on their show, they addressed this. And in, in the, uh, the CEO, I think, of, of The Ringer was on. And he even joked about it saying, yeah, we're talking about third-team NBA again. Bill, right? And it's February. Thanks. Uh, but it really is. It, it, he really takes it seriously. And I love that about him because he's not, you know, he really does does think about it. And uh, as they brought up on the podcast, too, of the people who don't get paid, there's a lot of people who do get paid because they're on uh, those teams as well. You got to think of it that way, too. That was a great that was a great call by Rosillo there. He was like, yep. yeah, you know what? These guys never say, hey, thanks to the media for getting me on the third team that got me all that extra bonus money. They're never going to say that. Exactly. Just the same way that as much as we give a bunch of guff to the referees, nobody's ever going to come on and be like, man, you know that game last night was ref really, really well. Those guys did a great job. Um, I was going to say, I don't think that's ever happened. I don't think there's ever been a game where neither team said, that was a really good ref game. Because that doesn't ever happen. <laughs> of course. Exactly. There's certain things that just never happen, and I was using that as an example of things that never happen. But something that always happens the first Saturday in May – is the Kentucky Derby. So let's take a little time here at the end of the podcast before we say goodbye to touch on the Kentucky Derby. I love the Kentucky Derby. The Mrs. Morgan, you know, loves the Kentucky Derby. There's pomp, there's circumstance, there's tradition, there's bourbon, there's mint, there's all types of things. There's hats, there's trumpets, there's sing-along songs. Any kind of fun you want is happening with the Kentucky Derby. Post positions 
are out. Horse names are out. And Bob Baffert, the greatest trainer in Kentucky Derby history, is no longer allowed at the Kentucky Derby. I'll ask you two gentlemen, as uh, guys who I don't think are as into horse racing as I am, does that give horse racing a bit of a black eye in your mark, that the guy who's won the most ever Kentucky Derbies is now banned from the Kentucky Derby, and maybe we should worry about were his horses clean for all of those other wins? Well, I mean, I don't really care, to be <laughs> honest with you. It's horse doping. It's wrong. I feel bad for the horses. But, I mean, if you get caught cheating too many times, you're going to get banned. Ask Pete Rose. Like, it happens. Um if you want to, like, I'm going to tell you, like, I know he, his horse got disqualified last year. I couldn't tell you who had, who won the Kentucky Derby last year because of that disqualification. I want to say Medina Spirit, maybe. I think that you're sounds, correct. Sounds right. So, see, that's a lucky guess. Um, so, it doesn't necessarily bother me. I'm glad he's banned. I don't think it has any more of a black eye than the fact that they have to, you know, exterminate the horse if in the middle of the racetrack sometimes. I mean, that seems worse to me. Exterminate. I, All right. I, I mean, I don't think they're taking a gun out and shooting <laughs> him in the middle, but, uh, you know. Just... They have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they don't wait, do that hey, Rod, you're telling me that in a sport where the athletes in the sport can't talk and tell people what's going on, there could be some cheating going on in that? Are you it telling me that? It seems like it. Yeah, I don't think it's a black guy. I think people, it is what it is, and people have known that. And if you don't know that, your uh, your head's in the ground. So yeah, I I don't think it's a black guy at all. I mean, some of the racing purists will, obviously, but whatever. All right, so Jimmy, your your Kentucky Derby bets. What are, what are when when you're betting horses at the uh, first Saturday of May? What are you looking for? Yeah, I'm going, for the, lo- I'm going for the longest odds um, and a name that kind of rings. Uh, rings to me kind of like a tawny port i really like a tawny port this year um that's what's the odds on tawny port oh it's 30 to 1 uh so i don't think that's really gonna happen but uh uh, but you do it across the bet you do it across the board bet on that right and then if it if it places any point in the top three you'll get you know 30 to 1 odds on your bet there so that's pretty good even if it got third that's what your across the board bet will do for you yeah that's exactly what i was talking about that's exactly what i was gonna do how about you rod i mean do you care well, no. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll back clean up here. Clearly, okay. I'm the one who's got a little bit of the Kentucky Derby knowledge here. So let's go. Let's go to Chris. Chris, how about you? What are you, What are you doing when it comes to betting horses? Okay, so you guys know, and the listeners know, I've been around for a while, right? <laughs> Since I've the first been, Derby. I've I've been I've been I've been betting on ponies uh, for a long time. I'll bet on steeplechases. Uh, there is a track in Indianapolis that has nothing but steeple races. It is great. Um, it doesn't matter if it's steeple or, or a regular horse race. One thing you always got to look for are the jockeys. You got to see what the jockeys are doing. You got to see who's riding. Have they rode the horse before? Have they won with the horse? Have they won at this track? That's to me, is almost important as the horse. Now, when it comes to the Kentucky Derby, I need a good name for the horse. And so, so really, I'm looking for that combo. I want a good jockey and a good horse, and I got the perfect combo for this race. I'm going to call it. I think he's going to win. It is Cyberknife. It is a great name. His his jockey is Florent Garot. They Florent. have... I believe I believe he's French. I believe that's Florent Garot. Florent, Florent Garot. And he has rode on Cyberknife before at the Arkansas Derby. 
uh, took first place good, in the Arkansas that's race. Derby. That's a good and race. There. That's a good race. Chris, can I, can I tell? Can I tell the listeners real quick that the yeah. Arkansas Derby is definitely a good race to look at if you're doing past performance. It's quite similar to the Derby in uh, in track and length. Nice, nice. So I think he's familiar with the horse. The horse is familiar with the jockey. They've won together already recently. I think this is the team to beat. All right, there you go. You, 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 you've got a few things other than just the name. I like that. The Mrs. Morgan you know is with you, right? She's pretty good at betting the ponies as well. She's with you on jockey. That being said, her horses this year because of the jockeys that she likes are Tybee, T-A-I-B-A. That's a 12-to-1 horse. And she also likes Messier. That horse is 8-to-1. I can't believe that she likes Messier because she is the most tidy OCD it's, person that I know. It's Messier. It might be Messier, but I'm going it's, with it Messier. It is. It's it's named after Mark Messier. That's right. But the Mrs. Morgan you know prefers to have it be Messier and happy wife, happy life. All right, Chris? So I'm going to go with Messier because that's what she's calling it. Roger that. And I like to go for trainers. I brought up old Bob Baffert there when we were starting this discussion the second best trainer and a guy who's won multiple Kentucky Derbies within the past 15 years is a guy by the name of Todd Pletcher. He's got a horse who's got pretty good odds. I just lost his name. Let me find it again. It's Mo Donegal. Yes, Mo yeah, Donegal. That's a good to name, one. too. Yeah, I like the name an awful lot. And Todd Pletcher is a heck of a trainer. That's his horse. Give me Mo Donegal. But the favorite right now is Epicenter. And then you're also going to hear a lot of people talk about Zandon. These are these are these are the two horses that are actually right up near the top as far as betting line favorites as of right now. But that will probably go down. Some of your horses that are looking at twelve to one, ten to one, they'll get bet down. You'll have three to four people that'll come off at pretty low odds because of all the money that'll come in. And some of your twenty to one and thirty to ones will end up going up to forty and fifty to one by the time the Derby goes off. Now. Betting on your phone is so prevalent everywhere. We all know about DraftKings and all that stuff, but you actually trouble betting on the Derby on some of those sites. A few of them you can do it, others you can't. Twin Spires, though, is free to download just like all of those apps are, and that is a very easy way to bet on the Kentucky Derby. So that's my, that's my pro tip there. If you guys are wanting to bet on the Derby, do yourself a favor. Go to an OTB. That's an off-track that's betting true. site. Meet yourself some crazy characters, have a That's little true. fun, enjoy life. That OTBs is true. can be very crazy, hilarious, funny, and depressing all at the same time. We went to an OTB in uh, Indianapolis a few years back on uh, Derby Day, and uh, that was one of the few places in Indy you could still smoke inside because it was a it was a casino type betting atmosphere, so you could still smoke in there. And my goodness, was that a was that a smoky bourbon filled mess of a good time that day we went to the OTB? So I second that, Chris. Yeah, there was a place in Pittsburgh. What was funny about the one in Pittsburgh though is <laughs> it was at the track, but anytime you anytime that there weren't races at the track, it was considered OTB. So you were going to the track, but there weren't races at that track. The Mrs. Morgan, you know, and I will also be in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada for the Kentucky Derby. And I will be rocking a seer sucker gingham suit that is not to be missed. So I promise to put a picture of myself in my Kentucky Derby Splendor. And the Mrs. Morgan, you know, will be all decked out in her Kentucky Derby Splendor. I promise we will get a picture of us in our Kentucky Derby best up 
on the Morgan, you know, social feeds for all of you to gawk at and admire how wonderful my hair is. And for Chris, for you to be jealous yet again of my flowing, gorgeous locks and the fact that you look an awful lot like Lex Luthor. Listen, God gave some men hair. He gave the rest of us brains. (laughs) There we go. That's a good way to end it on right there, my friend. This episode dropped for you on Thursday of this week. If you are a big Survivor fan, check out our wheat recap of last week's Survivor episode dropped for you yesterday. Jimmy and I did an episode of Yeah, We Know in the Ring with Jimmy and Hot Rod earlier this week, giving you our WrestleMania backlash picks. And Jimmy, backlash is this Sunday on the Peacock Network. Is that correct? It is correct. WrestleMania backlash. One of the most forgettable shows of the year every year. Will it live up to the hype this year? We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Yeah, there's, there's some real doozies on this card, but Jimmy and I are going to be back to wrap it all up for you next week. We'll have another Survivor episode. We'll have another Balls and Brew episode. And Jimmy, I want to put this out so people are excited. The Tom Cruise celebratory yes. podcast that I have teased for years upon years is in the works. The outline is crafted. The research is being done. The participants are being drafted and that podcast will drop for the people ahead of Memorial Day weekend and the release of Top Gun 2 Maverick. Looking forward to it, Jim. Beautiful, beautiful. So always keep with the Morgan You Know podcast feed to hear all of those wonderful shows, but do us a favor. Tell your friends about any of those wonderful shows. Make sure you're giving us a five-star rating and a comment on iTunes, a five-star rating on Spotify. It really helps us out. We appreciate it. So until the next time we get the chance to talk to you, I had fun. I hope you did too. And the final word goes to our friend, Mr. King. Goodbye, Internet.